Turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, if you would. The book of Acts, the 27th chapter. And I want to speak the mess, a message this morning that is literally the theme of the conference that you just saw advertised on the video there. I've been around for a moment in May. Besides being married for 39 years, I will slip over into official geezerhood and become 60 years old. Yep. So all of my jokes for Pastor Duke are coming home to me. But I, I can say this, that in those 60 years, I don't know that I remember, at least in this nation, I don't know that I remember a more complex or contentious time in my lifetime. I lived through, I was, I was pretty young in the 60s, but I remember desegregation in the schools growing up in the South. I remember all of the consternation there. How many of you saw Remember the Titans? Remember the movie? Coach Boone came from my high school, just to let you know. And he was, he lost his job in my high school. That's why he wound up in Virginia. So I've lived through one or two moments in our, in our nation's history, but I don't know that I've ever lived in a moment quite like this one. And I think many of you would feel exactly the same way. And yet I find something about the nature and character of God and the, and the plans of God that he pretty much waits until we mess something up so royally. That legislatively, culturally, whether it's in our families, that we mess something up to the level that God finally just says, are you ready now? When we finally break it to the point that Everything on the inside of us, all of our wisdom, all of the great things that we have, all of a sudden they become completely insufficient to fix the moment. How many of you know that is when God says, can I be God now? Why is that? One is that God does not want to share glory. You with me? It's not a matter of, yeah, Jesus and the doctor. Yeah, it was Jesus and my, my great idea. But it's God alone, and it will always be God alone. I spoke a message last year about Jubilee. Some of you went through the end of the year and thought, well, I wish we still stoned prophets because I would really like to chuck one at Pastor Jim because I, don't rem- I, I, I didn't get my Jubilee last year. Well, let me say that God doesn't just work in 365-day chunks. He's not nearly as impressed with our Roman calendar as we are. But the reality is, if you look at Jubilee, Jubilee really signified the end of something in order to set up something else. And I don't know about you, but I found some things that God started last year that I believe that this is going to be a year of completion for you and for me. Is that what God set up He's going to finish. But in order to do that, I believe that this is going to be a year of a lot of divine transitions that are going to happen around our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like change much. I mean, we go to the same restaurants and pretty much order the what? The same food. 
We go to our closets and we pull down what? The same article of clothing. Because we think it looks good, but we know it feels good. That's why God gives a man a wife. Just one reason why he does that. And yet I believe that this is going to be a year of a lot of course correcting that God is going to begin to do around our life to navigate us into purpose and into blessing. If we look at the book of Acts, it's a marvelous book, great story. From Acts 1, Jesus, right before his ascension, teaching, the, teaching his, his inner core, if you wish, Acts 2, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit coming. Acts 3, perhaps the greatest evangelistic sermon ever. Acts 5, the first couple being struck dead in tithes and offerings. The government of the church, Acts 6, we find the, the first accusations of favoritism coming in and deacons rising up, church government coming into play. And on and on we find Acts 8. Saul persecuting the church, Acts 9, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. But we get to the last seven chapters of the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 28. And literally we find a full 25% of the book of Acts devoted to one story. Paul is always getting himself in trouble, it seems like. Something about this pesky teaching about resurrection of the dead. To the point that he, in Acts 21, says that it was prophesied by a prophet Agabus that this was going to happen. That he was literally taken into custody by civil authorities so that the religious community wouldn't kill him. And what we find beginning in Acts 21, we find a series of events of Paul kind of moving through the legal system of the day. And when we find his, after his arrest, we see him making appeals through a couple of governors, Felix and Festus, finally all the way appealing to King Agrippa, until finally he appeals to the highest court he can think of, and that is all the way to Rome and to Caesar, and all of this in God's plan. Now, in the midst of all this, in Acts 23, verse 11 it says that God stood near to Paul. We're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. But it says God stood near to Paul and said, you must also testify in Rome. So right here in the very beginning, in, in the midst of all of this, God gives Paul a word. This is what's going to happen. But we pick up the story. And Paul and some other prisoners, they're trying to figure out a way to get them to Rome. We pick up the story in verse 9. And they've had some difficulty finding appropriate transportation. And it says, much time had been lost. Sailing had already become dangerous. But then Paul had a, war, a word from God, verse 10, Acts 27. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Now, that would be a little bit like getting on a United flight to anywhere. 
Because that's, that's in that, they should say united. Maybe we're going to fly today, maybe not. Those of you who know anything about united know what I'm talking about. But that would be sort of like the pilot getting on the ship and uh, getting on the, the PA saying, well, today we're on the way to Orlando, Florida, but we've had news that there's going to be storms and we really don't think we're going to make it and we're probably all going to die. I don't know about you, but at that point, it'd be like, you know what? Really seriously, I'll take the bus. Let me, just let me off. And so Paul is saying here, this is not going to, this is a bad idea. But here's a word in scripture that you never want to find, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided, here we go, the majority decided that we should sail on. And so everything seems to be great. Verse 13, a gentle wind from the south comes up. See, Paul, you're wrong. What you thought God had said to you, wrong. So everything's good until we get to verse 14. It's amazing what can happen between two verses of Scripture. It says, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. And it says the ship was caught by the storm. And then we pick it up in 21. I mean, here the ship now is being literally bashed to pieces. I mean, the cruise ship buffet, no one's showing up for anymore. Because no one's basically keeping dinner down at this point. And it says, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up and said, men, here's the I told you so moment. You should have taken my advice. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Interesting. Now remember, Paul initially had the word, if we go, we're going to die. But how many of you know, even in the midst many times of our not listening well, there's still a disp- dispensation, a disposition of grace that God gives us. Said so not one of you are going to die. Only the ship would be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am, whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Here's the word again being reinforced. God has given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Five considerations from this passage today. First is the title of this message, Course Correction. God encounters change our trajectory. You know, I find that God doesn't just show up and God doesn't just speak to remind himself of a thing. But God comes and shows up to change the direction and trajectory of our life. Moses just walking outside one day to go to work and all of a sudden the vegetation is on fire and it's talking to him imagine walking out of your house and the boxwoods out there in front of your house are in flames and they're speaking to you yo jc i mean somehow and it says what was moses response it says moses it says he turned aside to see what this strange sight might be yeah talking bushes i guess you would 
But how many of you know as a result of that divine encounter, Moses' life was forever changed? And not only Moses' life, but quite frankly, the destiny of an entire nation changed as a result of that divine encounter. The Magi coming to visit the child Jesus, Matthew chapter 2. Warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. Saul rode to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. On and on. And we start on a path that is uniquely our own. The Bible calls it a road to destruction. And it's wide. I mean, it's like four lanes of 66 and nobody's on it but you. I mean, it's just like everything's great. The problem is it says the end thereof results in what? Death. That's the problem. And yet God, by his grace, he comes and he takes us off of this path and he puts us on another one, does he not? It's a narrow one, but it's one that says leads to life. Job 33 says God does speak now one way now another, though man may not perceive it. You see, I believe in these God encounters that in this moment, God wants us, wants to stand near to us. He wants to speak to us if we will listen to him in this particular moment. You know, I've learned having been on the planet for a moment to listen particularly to the female voices around my life. It starts with your mother. How many of you still hear your mom's voice in your head after all these years? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And mom would say things like, oh, you're not wearing that. I know you're not wearing that out of the house. Or you're not going to eat that, are you? I mean, you, you begin to hear that. But then you have this voice. But then God brings another female voice to a man's life. It's called a wife. And it's amazing how similar those voices are and asking the same questions. You're not going to wear that, are you? You're not going to eat all of that, are you? Well, yeah, I was fully intending on it. Oh, I don't think so. No, you need a salad. It's why men invent things like donut buffets and women invent things like salad buffets. Who cares? But then I've noticed now there's yet a third female voice in my life. And her name is Siri. And now there's another woman telling me what to do. Now I've learned, and it takes a long time men to learn this. So if you're just newly married or... You just, uh, you're, you're thinking about, hear me well, just agree quick because you're going to lose and you're going to lose bad. So I'm just trying to help a brother out here. You with me? And so I've stopped arguing with my mother years ago. I don't argue with my wife anymore. I just pretend I just go deaf, but I don't, I don't argue anymore. Does, but Siri I'm still arguing with her because she, I will ask her directions for somewhere that I've been before and she will begin to tell me, turn here. No, 
Woman, you've lost your mind. Have you ever noticed that you begin to speak back to Siri? It's insane. Now I'm talking to this box. And then you decide, well, no, I've been there before. That's not the way you go. And then so you go your own way. And then she begins to talk back to you. Recalculating. (laughs) Recalculating. And so you're arguing with, with Siri. But you know, it's an amazing thing that after you begin to see five miles of taillights in front of you. That Siri could see something you couldn't see from the vantage point of your driver's seat and through your piece of glass called the windshield. Is that Siri had some knowledge and some information about what WTOP calls volume. (laughs) Had some information about that accident up there. Had some information about how to navigate in what seemed like was going to be a very circuitous route to get you to where you needed to go was actually the shortest distance between two points. But it was not the one that you knew. It was not the one that you understood. But if we had just listened, how many of you know that the shortest distance between two points is the way that God is telling you to get there? It's not always the easiest, but it's always the shortest distance. I have found in my life shortcuts rarely are. That's the problem because those shortcuts that we try to take that God is trying to work something in us and out of us as a result of that moment. Come on, man. Is there anything more frustrating than traffic? Seriously, except for plumbing. But is there anything more frustrating than traffic? There's not. And yet there's, I don't know about you, but I probably have had more come to Jesus character moments behind the wheel of a car. That and raising teenagers. But but behind the wheel of a car, how God will just work some things out in us. Course correction. Are we listening? And the challenges are, one, is that we don't like to be corrected. We really don't. When it comes right down to it, most of us associate correction with rejection. Even if it's just an adjustment. It's an amazing thing that when the coach says, no, you need to do this. Or when when a music instructor says, no, you need to change your hand position. And we get all all weird about it. Oh, you don't love me. Or pastor or, or somebody that who's discipling our life begins to make a course correction. We receive it as rejection. Can I help you? Stop it. It's not rejection. It's correction to bring you into greater life. And then we don't want to make these corrections because we like the path we're on. We don't like change. Hmm. And this is where our paths become ruts. And it becomes difficult for now for us to even move to the left and to the right because we've been in this same place for so long that those corrections become practically impossible. Course correction. Number two are complications. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. You know, we don't like 
complication much. We don't like storms much. It's only one problem. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says, His way, meaning God's way, is in a whirlwind and storm and the clouds or the dust of his feet. Zechariah chapter 10 goes on and says this, Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. He, it is the Lord who makes what? The storm clouds. You know what? We all want rain. We just don't want the storm that comes with the rain. We all want the rain of God. We all want the revival of God. We all want the rivers of God. But we don't want the storms that bring the very rain. Many times that is the presence of God himself. Hmm. And storms will come. It's a Bible promise. I don't know where the folk get off that preach that somehow that you can name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, declare it, decree it, get in the $20 line, whatever you can do. And you can live a life that's pretty much stress-free and storm-free. There's only one problem with it. It ain't in the Bible. Come on, it's, it makes for some good preaching and, and you can pull a good offering with it. The problem is it's just not true. Jesus said, in this world you will have. But what did he say? Take heart, I have overcome the world. There are going to be storms. Storms are going to come. And I don't believe there's any challenge. I don't believe there's any question that there are storm clouds gathering not only in this nation but in the nations. That's not even a prophetic statement. That is just read the news. That there's storm clouds gathering. But for what? For the reign of God. For, for what is very, very likely prerequisite to the greatest move of God in a generation. We're on the precipice of it, ladies and gentlemen. And yet... There's so much emphasis many times on which storm. We love talk about storms. Am I out of time? That's wrong. Just, I just freaked out. I looked down. I saw all these big zeros down there. It's it like my calculus grade when I was in... But we love talking about storms. Doomsday preppers. Anybody remember doomsday preppers? National Geographic. Bunch of well-meaning nuts that were preparing for the disaster du jour. You know, everybody had, you know, you had to buy a school bus. Jerry, that's what you had to have. You had to have a school bus. Get your bug out kit. Because of whatever the impending disaster du jour was going to be, a reversal of the magnetic poles, economic meltdown, nuclear fallout, the zombie apocalypse. I mean, there was going to be something. The big goof for me was what if you're preparing for the wrong end of the world scenario? You're putting all your wealth in Bitcoin and the zombies come. I mean, you know. So we're fast, but we're fascinating. My mother from another state watches the Weather Channel waiting for disaster. She will call us. Do you know you're getting ready to get snow? <laughs> Thanks, mom. But now you've got this whole group of folk in the church, the prophets. And they've been doing the same thing for years. California has been separating and floating off into the Pacific for at least the last few decades. 
God's going to come and he's going to wipe out New York City. He's going to wipe out the pornographers in Los Angeles. He's going to get somebody. Goes, God's mad. And we're fascinating. We're fascinated with, with end times things and the storms. And I have heard so many warnings books about what's going to happen and, and all of these kinds of things. And you know what? The vast majority of them, I mean the 99%, never come true. We're fascinating with storms. And yet, the real emphasis is not which storm. The real emphasis is who you're in the storm with. This is what it's all about. And it's the path through the storm, not just waiting for it to end. This is the real core. This is the real crux of the issue in front of us in this moment. You realize that on an airplane carrier is that at the moment that they're getting ready to launch planes, the ship turns into the wind so that the planes leaving can have the wind at their back to help launch them. Seems counterintuitive. Sailors understand how to navigate winds that seem very, very hostile and cross to what they want to do. They've learned how to adjust all of those ropes and fabric and sails. and They've learned how to tack. That's the word. And they may not get through it exactly the way that they would like, but that God has given them a grace and shown them how to tack through the storm. God will show us the same thing if we will listen. Number three are collections. It says, finally, they threw the cargo overboard. And the day after that, it says they threw the tackle overboard. You know, it's amazing what you don't need in a storm. Some years ago, I, I had, my wife and I had this small car. It's called a Mini Cooper, which is it's just English for this is going to be very expensive later in life. And we left the mountain, we live, we live a way away, and we left the mountain and came down, and it was raining. And we have a car that can navigate snow pretty well, but we decided to take the Mini Cooper. My wife asked me, she said, do you think we'll be okay? I said, ah, it's just rain, it'll be all right. So we came back later than we thought, and we got up, and the rain had turned into ice. Now, we live off of a road entitled Friesland, so that should have given us some indication. And we've been up there almost 10 years, so we know better. So with the Mini Cooper, we turned down into our where we live. And we live in a place where you turn off the paved road, if that gives you some indication. And the Mini Cooper hit the first little block of ice, and it just says, I'm on my own steam now. It just came, came to rest against a tree. Well, it's around midnight, freezing rain. And my wife and I now get to walk home. Now, in my car... I have the kites from the beach. I have my fishing lines and poles from the beach. And between the two of us, we have one pair of crampons. They're those little sticky things you put on your shoes. It took my wife and I about an hour and a half to walk less than a mile. I mean, we're sliding down, you know, the, 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 the one foot with a crampon on the road, the other one down in the ditch. We're falling down, light by the cell phone. I mean, let me just tell you, it was a moment. The good news is for Christmas this year, my wife started talking to me again. <laughs> and I appreciated that. 
And we sent the Mini Cooper to Mini Cooper Heaven after that time as well. Let me just tell you. But the reality, it's amazing that all the stuff in the car that did us no good in that storm. Some of us need to chuck some stuff overboard. And I'm not talking about hoarders. I'm not talking about physical stuff. But many of us have taken on so much that God never intended for us to have. That in this moment, he's wanting us to throw some things overboard that we don't need anymore. And yet, most of us don't want to get rid of any of it. I might need that later. They call it the depression mentality. You with me? You know, the grandmother that had the drawers full of the folded up aluminum foil and the string. You remember all that? And you would ask your mother, is she crazy? No, she went through the depression. (laughs) But let me just tell you, carrying all this stuff God never intended for us to carry brings with it its own depression. Because God never intended for us, for most of us, to carry that which we're trying to carry. It doesn't work. You need to throw some things overboard. And then it says they finally, they threw the tackle overboard. You know what that, that was the last representation. The tackle representing those things that had to do with the navigation of the ship. At that moment, when we finally throw the tackle overboard, you know what we're saying to God? I'm done. I'm done trying to navigate the course of my own life. You know, that's the real essence of lordship, isn't it? And, you know, that's really where God is waiting for us to get to. Many of us are terrified to let God come and edit our lives. And not only the stuff, but the emotional stuff, the information, all of the entertainment, all the kitty cat videos that, you know, I mean, whatever it might be that clutters our life. God is saying, would you, do you trust me enough to edit your life? And to leave you with that which brings you life rather than takes life from you. Are we willing to let God divest so that we can invest? Communion. I'll just mention this. We did a fasting moment at the beginning of this year in our every nation world called Knowing God. But one of the moments, one of the questions for us in this moment is who's in the boat with us? James 4, 8 says, as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Even the language of God speaking to Paul and and, and there in the 23rd chapter, it says the Lord stood near to Paul. This is a moment that God is wanting to say, son, will you come into closer proximity with me? You know, when you want to hear something, what do you do? You lean in and you get closer to someone so that you can hear them better. Even those disciples who were in the boat as they were going across the lake and the storm came up. Jesus was up there asleep in the boat. They still, even as small as the boat was, they still had to move from where they were to get into closer proximity with Jesus so they could hear his voice over the wind and the waves. Some of us may be in the boat, but you need to still get closer to Jesus. Coming into closer proximity. Also, who are you listening to? Communication. This is one of the reasons that we do this prophetic gathering or prophetic conference once a year. 
is to help people understand that all the voices that are out there are not necessarily the voice of God. That we've got to steal some of these other voices so that the voice can come through and be clarion in our life. And then community. With whom are you in the boat? Who are you in the boat with? Do you know who they are? Do you know who your band of brothers might be? I know who mine are. I know them by name. Duke and Kathy and Brett and Cynthia. Jim and Kathy. Gary, Jody, Stephen, Beverly. I know who the folks are in my boat. I know who's on speed dial in my life. These are the relationships you need to be investing in. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Some of us have some frivolous relationships around our life. And I'm not talking about those people that we are trying to reel into the gospel, reel into the kingdom. I'm talking about there, there, there are some relationships that we have that, quite frankly, they're taking more than they're bringing back. And whether it's the Yaya sisterhood or the band of brothers, you need to figure out who is in the boat with you. And you need to begin to invest in those relationships in a significant way. And let me say this. You need a Paul in your boat. And you might be the Paul in somebody else's boat. You know, the mere fact that Paul was there is a reason that those soldiers and sailors didn't perish in that sea. Paul, because you're here, their lives are going to be spared. You have no idea. You may be in the boat. You may be in a boat at work and you're saying, I hate this boat. <coughs> Got it. But you might be there for the very salvation of those people in that company. And then lastly, it's a moment of completion. Acts chapter 28, verse 14, it says, so we came to Rome. God will do what God said he would do. God told him in Acts 23, he told him again, no one's going to be lost. You must appear before Caesar. Let me just tell you, God's word prevails. Everything else is just details. Everything else, just details. Regardless of how scary it might look, how loud it might look, how intense it might be, let me just tell you, if God has said it, that's the end of it. And God will finish what he started. You know, we don't look to numbers in order to derive revelation, but I believe we can look at certain things and say, okay, God, I, I agree with this. This happens to be, by the way, year number 5777 on the Hebrew calendar. If you know anything about biblical numerology, seven is the number of completion or perfection. Three sevens in this date. And I believe that some things that God has started, maybe it's healing in your body, your spouse, your children, something in your marriage, something in your finances. This is a season of completion. That God is going to get you where God has promised that you would be in the midst of this year. And regardless of what else is going on. What else is happening in, on the Dow in Washington? Whatever the doctor says, let me tell you, God's going to finish what God started. Somebody didn't get excited enough about that. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, I am sure of this that he who began a good work will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. 
And in that completion, ladies and gentlemen, we find a couple of things. Number one, we find our rest based on following well. Are we hearing well? Are we following well? Real biblical hearing is not just on listening, but it's on what? Doing, it says in the book of James. But here's the other benefit is rest. See, Jesus didn't stop on day seven because he was tired. God didn't in the making of everything. God established a Sabbath, not on the principle of exhaustion, He established the Sabbath on the basis of completion. God was finished. Do you realize that many times you and I can put our, we can can put our head on the pillow at night and we wake up just as tired because there's not a sense of the completion. What didn't I get done today? What have I got to get done tomorrow? My to-do list is rolling over and over and over again and it's rolling on top of me. But the rest of God is when we can rest in his completed work. That what God has said, God is going to do. What God has said about me, what he said about my wife, my children, that's the end of it because God has said it. And I can rest in that. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, talks about there is therefore now a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's an impartation of rest that God wants to bring us. And the world looks at us standing in line at Costco and they say, I don't know what you're on, but I want some of that. (laughs) Because while everybody else is freaking out and they're exhausted, God's people have got a big smile on their face because we are at rest because we know what God has said. What have I said today? This is a season of course correction. Don't fear the storms. Don't fear the changes. And don't miss the wind of God in the whirlwind that's blowing. This is a moment to stay flexible, stay adjustable. Some of you are not going to have the same job next year as you have right now. Let me just say, and you you say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be unemployed. That's not what I said. Some of you are not going to be living in the same house. You're not going to be carrying the same things in your body. Are storms there? Yes. Has Jesus overcome them? Yes. Collections. God asked me at the beginning of this year, son, what are you willing to divest in order to invest in me in the kingdom? And I look around my life and I realize I'm doing too much. I've got too much stuff. I've got too much on my mind. I've got, there's too much emotionally going on to let God come and edit our lives in this moment. Coming into closer communion and proximity with God and with God's people. And then finally coming into his rest, his finished work. Pray with me. Lord, help us hear something by your spirit today. And Lord, we could hear this as Another word and an interesting application of Scripture. Or we could hear this with the ears of Revelation. Revelation says, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. God, this is a message to the church. 
Let us have spiritual ears to hear it. That God, you're going to do what you said you would do. In the midst of everything that's blowing. Everything that's happening around our lives. You're still God. Lord, help us trust you enough to let you edit our lives. To let you come and unburden us. To bring a simplicity and a clarity so that we can see you and hear you better. And God, the peace that comes, the rest that comes in knowing that you'll finish what you've started. Help this people. Help us hear. Help us obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, church.